Hello there. Welcome to another life transforming sermon with Dr. Dazwe Tachero. I would like you to go to the book of Philippians chapter 2. I want to pick up from where Pastor Ngure left in the morning. And we're going to read from verse 16 to verse 18. Philippians chapter 2, verse 16 to 18. The Bible says, Holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Verse 17, yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Verse 18, for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, my emphasis is going to be on verse 16. I had to read all the way to verse 18 so that you can catch the flow of what Paul was speaking about here. But my emphasis is going to be on verse 16. That's where we're going to draw uh, lessons from or our lesson from this uh, afternoon. And thereafter, we are going to pray. I hope you're ready to pray and I hope you're ready for what God has in store for you from his word. So my emphasis is on verse 16. And we're going to look at three things uh, that are in this verse. And then we are going to pray. I hope you have a place of prayer. You have prepared yourself. You've set yourself apart a, a to pray. Maybe you've looked for a corner or you've gone to your car. Make sure that you get a very conducive place where you can pray. Now, there are three things that I want us to delve deeper in that Paul is mentioning here. When you look at verse 16, I want to read it again. Holding fast the word of life so that, I'm, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. The first thing that I want us to look at, Paul says, holding fast the word of life. So the first thing that I want us to talk about is the word of life. The word of life. Paul is mentioning to the Philippian church the word of life. You know, every now and then I have the habit of asking people, uh, what did I preach, you know, last week? Or what did I preach last Sunday? And sometimes I get varying, you know, reactions. And some reactions are heartbreaking. There are people when I ask them that, they give you an answer, but the answer does not reflect uh, what was actually taught or what I did preach. There are people who are spot on, they get it right, uh, but there are people who struggle to explain, you know, what was preached. Yet they were, you know, in the service when I was preaching. So I love, I love asking that question so that I can tell um, how many people have been able to digest or to receive the word of God and not to only receive the word of God, but they have been able to maintain the word that they have received in their hearts or in their spirit. But what I have realized is many people struggle, you know, to do a recap of the word that was preached, you know, when they were in church. They struggle, you know, they will, they will pick one or two things that they can remember, but they cannot actually bring out the entirety of the sermon. And sometimes they are not very accurate. You can see that they struggle to really explain what was preached. And I believe this is the reason why a lot of Christians 
you know, in our generation today and in our churches today, in our groups, in our departments, are very weak spiritually. They are powerless. They are lifeless. You know, and the reason why they are lifeless, they are powerless, and they are weak is because they are devoid of the word of God. We hear a lot of preaching. We listen to a lot of preaching, but we don't have the retention capacity within us. And no wonder we are not very, very strong Christians. You know, sitting under preaching or going through Bible study should not just be a moment where you just fill in time. It should be a moment of digesting the truth. It should be a moment of getting the word into your spirit and allowing the word of God to settle inside of you. You must intentionally assimilate the word of God in your spirit until the word of God becomes part and parcel of you. You see, I was studying something about, you know, digestion. When you eat, you know, the enzymes, everything within your stomach has been engineered to ensure that whatever you have eaten becomes part of you. So if, if you eat good food, good food will become part of your body. If you eat bad food, bad food will become bad, uh, part of your body. If you ingest poison, you know, it's just a matter of time. Poison will become part of your body and poison will cause you problems and it can even kill you. So when we sit under preachings or when you go through Bible study, the word of God should become part of us. We should ingest the word of God, digest the truth in the word of God, assimilate, intentionally assimilate the word of God in our spirit so that that word can become part and parcel of our lives. But many times that's not the case. No wonder Christians are weak. They, are, they can't pray. They, you know, they can't do the will of God. They can't follow God passionately simply because the word of God has not really taken root in their hearts. When you look at the book of Mark, and I'm just going to give you the story, it, it gives us different types of hearts that Jesus was trying, you know, to show us here. Number one is the wayside heart. And this is the heart when the seed of the word of God is sown, immediately birds come, you know, and devour that seed. And, and, and the birds here represent Satan. So the word of God comes, falls on the heart, but Satan comes immediately to steal the word because he doesn't want that word, you know, to germinate and bring forth fruit in our hearts. The second type of heart that Jesus gives us here is the stony heart. This is a heart that doesn't have depth, you know, and so the seed that has been sown, the seed of the word of God that has been sown in this heart doesn't germinate to be able to bring forth fruit. And then the third one is the thorny heart. So this type of heart, when the seed of, uh, when the, seed of the word of God is sown in this heart, the Bible says that that Word, that seed, seed word, or the, the, the seed of the word of God is choked by the cares of the world in this heart, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires of other things. And you can see when Jesus was talking about these hearts, it's like these hearts are the majority. You know, the wayside heart, the stony heart, and the thorny heart. And you can see that these are the things that are making people not to retain the word of God. Satan comes and steals the word of God as soon as they hear the word of God. That's why people forget God's word very easily. Or the stony heart, the word of God doesn't develop roots. It endures for a time. But afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, you know, these guys cannot keep the word of God in their hearts. Or the thorny heart, which is choked 
The, the seed of the word of God is choked by the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, you know, the cares of this world. And these are real things that we battle with, we struggle with every now and then. When the Bible talks about the desires for other things, it means many other bad things. The desire for women, the desire for men, the desire for perversion, the desire for immorality. All these desires come and they choke, you know, the seed of the word of God that has been sown in people's hearts. That's why we are not able to hold fast the word of life. But I'm so glad that Jesus didn't stop there. Because he realized that if you have these three types of heart, the word of God will never become fruitful in your heart. And then he mentioned the good heart. The good heart. And this is the one that, this is the heart that holds fast to the word of God. This is the, the, the heart that keeps you know, the word of God from being stolen by word predators. This is a good ground that receives the word and the words, the word of God actually settles, you know, on this heart. And when the word of God settles on this heart, it is able to produce fruit. Now, this word that Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 4, which is in seed form, produces fruit in a good heart. Why does it produce fruit in a good heart? Uh, in a good heart. It is because it is the word of life. Paul says, holding fast unto the word of life. The reason why this word is producing fruit when it falls on a good heart is because it is the word of life. It is a life carrier. So when we ingest the word of God, let me tell you, we shall receive the life of God inside of us. When we receive the word of God, ingest the word of God, assimilate the word of God in our hearts, the word of God will become part and parcel of our lives, and the word of God will bring life to us. You see, when you don't hold fast to this word, you become lifeless. That's why many Christians are in church, but they are lifeless, they are powerless, they are weak. They can't draw from the life that is in the word of God because they have not allowed that word to settle in their hearts. They have not assimilated that word in their system. When you don't hold fast to this word, you can never become a recipient of life. And we have so many Christians who are walking around, eating, moving around, but they are lifeless because the word of God has never taken root in their hearts. The only life they have is the life that has been given to them by Ugali. The only life they have is the life that has been given to them by Nyamachoma, and fruits and vegetables. The only life they have is the life that they have been given by the food that they eat, but they are not recipients of the word-induced life. Paul says we have to hold on to this life. We have to cling to this word, rather. We have to hold on to this word. It is the word of life. When we receive this word of life, ingest this word of life inside of us, then we are going to experience word-induced life. I don't just want to walk around, you know, with the life that is given by food. I want to walk around being a carrier of the word-induced life. I want to operate with this life. This is supernatural life. This is divine life. This is the life of God inside of us. I want to be a carrier of the word-induced life. Look at the power of this word in Joshua chapter 1. And verse 8, the Bible says, This book of the Lord shall, shall sorry, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate. Look at that. You shall meditate in it day 
and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. So as you receive the word, you have to meditate on it day and night. And then you go a step further. You have to observe to do according to all that is written in it. You have to practice that word. You don't just hear the word and then you get excited and you go home and forget about it. You hear the word, you ingest the word, you receive the word, and you begin to meditate on that word. And then you go a step further where you practice that word. Can I hear an amen? For then, the Bible says, you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. That is life. And this is what we are looking for. This is what we want. We want to be prosperous and we want to have good success. We want to do well. We want to rise above our challenges, above our difficulties. So when we receive the word of God and meditate in it day and night and observe to do everything that the word has said we should do, the Bible says all our ways will be prosperous. Everything that you engage in will be prosperous. Your business will be prosperous. Your studies will be, you will be prosperous in your studies. You know, you'll be prosperous in ministry. You'll be prosperous in marriage. You'll be prosperous in your relationships. You will be prosperous in your parenting. You'll be prosperous in your leadership. You'll be prosperous wherever you are because the word of God brings life to you. And then the Bible says that God will give you good success. Not every success is good, but God will give you success when you ingest his word. So the first thing that I want you to realize this afternoon is that we must hold fast to God's word. Don't be this believer who keeps on forgetting the word of God. Don't be this believer who is a leaky vessel. The word of God comes into you, but you can't sustain it. You can't maintain it. You can't keep it. You know, you are a leaky vessel. As soon as the word of God comes to you, it leaves, you know, your heart. You have to maintain and sustain the word of God inside of you. You have to keep it inside of you. You have to meditate on it. You have to guard it so that the birds don't come to steal the word of God out of your heart. You have to guard it so that the, the cares of this world don't choke the seed of the word of God inside of you. You have to guard it so that tribulation, challenges, and difficulties of life don't choke the word of God inside of you. Inside of you, Because that word is full of life. That word is full of power. Every time you listen to God's word, every time you read the Bible, I want you to know that you are reading life. You are listening to life. And if you can receive the life, if you can receive the word of God, then you become a recipient of the life that is locked up in the word of God. I pray that this afternoon you will hold fast to the word of life. You will cling to the word of life. You will embrace the word of life. It will be in your heart and in your soul and you will meditate in it day and night and observe to do everything that is written therein in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. This is good. I'm enjoying this. This is amazing. The second thing that Paul is mentioning here is talking about, remember my emphasis is in verse 16, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain. The second thing that Paul is talking about here is to run in vain. He's warning the Philippians, you know, he's telling them, you guys, make sure you don't run in vain. To run in vain. What does it mean to run in vain? To run in vain simply means to live a Christian life without examining the principles, the practices, and the values therein. You live a Christian life adhering to your own rules and standards. You're not following 
the rules and the standards that are in the word of God. You don't follow or you don't live by the standards and the values outlined in God's word. There are many, many Christians who call themselves Christians, but they don't practice Christianity to the latter. I need to say that again. There are many, many Christians who are in our churches who carry the name Christian, but they don't practice Christianity to the latter. They are running in vain. They claim to know God, but they don't really know God. They claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but they don't really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They claim to be genuine Christians, Christians to the bone, you know, but they are not Christians to the core of their being. They don't fast, for example. They call themselves Christians, but they don't fast. They call themselves Christians, but they don't pray. They call themselves Christians, but they don't even attend a, a local church faithfully. Some even say that I left church, but I never left God. You are not a Christian. You are lying to yourself. In fact, that is one biggest lie that has plagued this generation today, where people even have made t-shirts. I met somebody who had made a t-shirt that I didn't leave God, I left church. You cannot separate God and church. It's the reason why Jesus came. Jesus said, I'm building my church. So you can't say that I've left church and I've not left God. If you leave church, you've left God. You are lying to yourself. It is, it, is, it is deception. That's what I'm telling you. There are many people who call themselves Christians, but they don't practice Christianity. If you practice Christianity, then you should practice the Bible, and the Bible commands you to go to church. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. It is in the Bible. That is what Christianity is all about. It's not just by name. It is by practice. Some people don't even tithe, you know, and they call themselves Christians. They don't live a holy life and they call themselves Christians. They carry resentment and bitterness in their hearts and they call themselves Christians. So there are many people who are running in vain. They call themselves Christians, but they don't practice Christianity. It is not just enough for you to call yourself Christian because the name Christian was actually given by unbelievers. Because when they looked at the apostles, they looked at the disciples of Jesus Christ, they saw how they behaved, they saw how they preached, they saw how they lived, they saw how they conducted themselves, and they said, these are Christ-like, these are Christians. They could tell that these were Christians who were following Christ. They were practicing what Christ taught, they were behaving like Christ, they were praying like Christ, they were conducting themselves like Christ. No wonder they called them Christians. So the name Christian is not just a title. The name Christian places responsibilities on your shoulder. The name Christian will demand something from you. You must behave like Christ. You must live like Christ. You must carry yourself around like Christ. You must do what Christ did. You must believe in what Christ believed in. You must practice what Christ taught. So whatever Christ said, then you have to be able to do it. Otherwise, your Christianity is in vain. And there are many Christians who are running in vain. There are many Christians who are living, you know, this so-called Christian life, in quotes, but in vain, because God doesn't know them. Jesus doesn't even know them. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 to 23, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Eh, you, you can use the name of the Lord. 
You can call his name. You can say, I belong to the Lord. I belong to Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. You can even wear a t-shirt that says, Jesus owns me. You can pretend to be a Christian, but let me tell you, God knows the people that belong to him. Jesus knows his own. Many will say to me, and these are not few people, these are many. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, 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 Lord. Many will say, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Doing the will of the Father, it is practice, practicing Christianity. Doing the will of God is practicing the word of God, practicing Christianity. Whatever the word of God says, that's what you do. Whatever Christ commanded us to do, that's exactly what you do. And when you do that, what is happening is you are doing or you are fulfilling the will of God. God is not just interested with you being called a Christian. God is interested you know, in you doing his will, accomplishing his will. He doesn't just want you to wear that title Christian as a badge of honor. He wants you to do his will. And those who do his will, those who fulfill his will, are Christians indeed. They are the children of God. They are not running in vain. I don't want to run in vain. I don't want to do ministry in vain. I don't want to preach in vain. I don't want to sacrifice in vain. I don't want to come to church in vain. I don't want to fast in vain. I don't want to appear before God and God says, I don't, want, I don't know you. Look at the next verse, what it says. Many will say to me in that day, because there is a day that is coming. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Somebody say mercy. Can you imagine that day you stand before God with a smile on your face and say, oh Jesus, you know me. And he says, mm, who are you? I don't know you. You come with boldness, you have stuck out your chest and you're walking, you know, to appear before him and you know that he's going to smile back, but he's not smiling back. And he, he, he tells you, who, who are you? What's your name? Where are you coming from? And then you start explaining yourself. Oh God, I used to do this. I did this in your name. I cast out devils in your name. I prophesied in your name. I did many wonderful things in your name. And you say, oh, I don't know you. I mean, that day your heart will be broken into pieces. Your heart will be torn into pieces. And it will be too late because you'll not have a second chance. So don't live your Christian life in vain. This is the time for you to turn your life around. This is the time for you to live, you know, in a way that pleases God. You have to follow the precepts. You have to follow what is outlined in the word of God and become an authentic Christian. You have to practice the word of God. Whatever God tells you to do, you have to do it. When God says fast, you have to fast. Like right now we are fasting, but there are people who are not fasting. They are taking it lightly. When God says you have to give, you give. You do it. When God says I want you to, um, to forgive, you forgive. Even though you're still feeling pain. Even though you still feel, you know, like you need to retaliate. You need to make the person that you has offended you to feel what you're feeling. You obey the word of God and you forgive that particular person. You must serve Oh, sorry, you must live a life that is acceptable before God. You must practice the word of God. Whatever God tells you to do, you must do it. Because by doing so, you will not be running your Christian race in vain. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. 
And anyone or everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. When you look at the runners, they're trying to pace themselves because everybody wants to finish and everybody wants to finish so they can receive a prize. And Paul compares our Christian race to athletes, you know, the way they run. Everybody is focusing on the finishing line. And sometimes they have to pace themselves so that they don't run out of gas before they get to the finish line. They are temperate. They are self-control. They control their, their pace. They control their breathing. They are disciplined. You know, as they are running, they stay in the lane. They don't get off the truck. They are disciplined and they are following the rules because they don't want to be disqualified. We too, we must follow the rules. We must stay in the lane. We must stay in our lane. We must focus on the principles and the values that are in the word of God and obey God's word to the letter so that we may not be disqualified. Now the Bible continues to say, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. He says, everything I'm doing, I have calculated my move. I am strategic about it. I am a true Christian. I'm following Christianity to the letter. I am a true child of God. I'm following every principle, every precept, every command that has been laid down for me to fulfill. I am committed to it. And thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. The New Living Translation uses the word shadow boxing. Paul says, I'm not fighting as one who is beating the air. In other words, it, it was not shadow boxing that he was doing. So I ran with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. What is shadow boxing? The activity of sparring with an imaginary opponent. It's like you're fighting, but you're fighting with an imaginary opponent. He's not even there. So you're just throwing your fists, fists in the air. You're throwing your punches in the air. Paul says, that is not how I'm fighting. I don't want my Christianity to be in vain. I don't want my following God to be in vain. I am focused. I am determined to please him. I'm determined to practice everything that has been written in his word. Because I want to hear on that last day, thou good and faithful servant. So ladies and gentlemen, I want you to endeavor not to run your Christian race in vain. Don't shadow box, you know, as far as your Christianity is con concerned. Paul says, I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. Don't shadow box as far as your Christianity is concerned. Because shadow boxing Christianity is in vain. You must endeavor to practice Christianity. Become a Christian, not by name, but a Christian by function. Become a Christian, not just by title, by title but a Christian by function. You are actually practicing Christianity, following the word of God and obeying it to the latter. Don't leave any stone unturned when it comes to obeying God's word. Thirdly, as we finish and prepare to get into a place of prayer, Paul says in verse 16, if we can go back, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. So he says, I have not labored in vain. So the third thing here is to labor in vain. You can also labor in vain. You can run in vain, but you can also labor in vain. What does it mean to labor in vain? To labor in vain simply means to serve God half-heartedly. 
to serve him without seriousness, without sincerity, without joy, or even excitement. To serve God without, you know, involving your entire being. You're doing it for the sake of doing it. You're just going through the motions, but there is no excitement. There is no sincerity. There is no joy. There is no quality, you know, of service that you offer to God. Serving God becomes a drudgery. It becomes tedious and a wearisome burden for you. You feel like God is inconveniencing you. You feel like you should have done something better than what you're doing in the kingdom of God. You, should, you feel like you should have been involved in something else. What you're doing right now, you're just filling in time. You're just, you know, trying to, you know, give, uh, make yourself busy as you wait for the most important thing to do in your life as an individual. Some people serve God with a wrong attitude. That is laboring in vain. Some people serve God while murmuring and complaining. That is a wrong attitude. You are, you are, you are, you are, you are, you are laboring in vain. Some people serve God with a heavy heart. There is a lot of heaviness in their hearts. There is no joy. There is no excitement as far as serving God is concerned. You know, it's like they are being, they are being pushed to serve God. They are being forced to serve God. They are laboring in vain. When God looks at their hearts, he can tell that these guys are not serving me with sincerity. These guys are not serving me with joy. This person is not serving me with excitement. It's like he's been forced, he's been coerced to serve me. Look, we might not see how you serve God, but God sees your heart. It might not... It might not show on your face because most of the time when we are serving, we are happy, we are smiling, we are giving each other a high five, we are hugging each other, and everybody sees we are busy. But let me tell you, God sees beyond our facade and God sees our hearts. If God was to look at your heart for the last five years as you were serving him, what will he say about your service? If God was to examine your heart for the last five years, 10 years, 20 years, you being of service to him, what will he say about your heart? Did you serve him with sincerity? Did you serve him with joy? Did you serve him with excitement? Were you into it? Was, 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 was your heart into it? Or did you serve him with a lot of sadness, gloom, and a heavy heart? Those who serve God, you know, with gloom, with sadness, and with a heavy heart, those who are not serious, those who are half-hearted when it comes to serving God, they are laboring in vain. Everything that you are doing, it is in vain. The service that you are offering in the church, in the name of serving God, you are doing it in vain. The preaching, the singing, the washing, the cleaning, the putting things together, if you are doing it with a heavy heart, I am telling you, you are doing it in vain. You rather not even do it. You rather fold your hands and just sit down, cross your legs, and just be still. But if you're doing it with a heavy heart, if you're doing it while murmuring, if you're doing it while complaining, let me tell you, it is labor in vain. And such kind of an act, God will never bless. Such kind of an act will never receive the blessing of the Lord. Psalms 102, the Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness. You should be glad that you've been given the privilege to serve God. And you should serve God with gladness. I like what David says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of God. You should have the same attitude when it comes to serving God. I am so glad I've been given the privilege to serve God in the choir. I am so glad I've been given the privilege to serve God in the praise and worship team. 
I am so glad I've been given the privilege to serve God in the sound department. I am so glad I've been given the privilege to serve God in the children's department. Wherever God has blessed you, you should be able to serve him with gladness. But is that the case in the church today? No. A lot of people are complaining a lot. A lot of people are murmuring a lot. Go on social media and see how many Christians are murmuring and complaining about serving in the church. They are complaining about serving. And some of them are complaining because they are feeling like the pastor should have rewarded them. Or a leader in the department should have rewarded them. And the reason why they have not been rewarded is because they were not serving with all their hearts. Because God will never bless anything that doesn't come from a sincere heart. And so they are complaining about bishops that they were serving under. They are complaining about pastors that they were serving under. They are complaining about leaders that they were serving under. They, some, of, some of them are even saying, I was, I, was, I was abused. I was misused. They misused me. They misused my gift. That church misused my gift. That pastor misused my gift. I used to sing. I used to do this. They misused my gift. Why are you serving man or you are serving God? If you serve man, you have your reward. If you serve God with sincerity, you have your reward. And I know God is a good employer. When you serve him with all your heart, when you serve him with sincerity, let me tell you, the Bible says, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's what the Bible says. Knowing this, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So if you serve the Lord with all your heart, with sincerity, with joy, with excitement, with commitment, with a lot of oomph, with a lot of authenticity, you are genuine. As you are offering your service to the Lord, I am telling you, the Lord will bless you. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So all those people who are complaining, who are hurt, who are crying, oh, I served, I've been wounded, I stopped serving, I've been wounded. I need to ask you one question. Were you serving man or were you serving God? Were you serving the Lord? Because if you are serving the Lord, the Lord will reward you. But if you are serving man, you already have your reward. The Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness. Put some joy in your heart. Put some joy in your soul. When you're serving God, put some joy in your spirit when you're serving God because you know it is a privilege to even being granted the opportunity to serve God. God could have chosen somebody else. God could have anointed somebody else. God could have given the privilege to someone else. God could have given the gift to somebody else, but he gave it to you. I want you to know it's a privilege to serve God and so do it with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. You see, when God, sent Pharaoh, when God sent Moses rather to Pharaoh, who held Israelites captives in Egypt, the message was very, very clear. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Let, that says the Lord God of the heavens. Let's say, sorry, that says the Lord God of the Hebrews. Let my people go that they may serve me. The message was very clear. Short and precise. Let my people go that they may serve me. The reason why you've been redeemed is so that you may serve God. The reason why you've been saved, the reason why you're alive today, the reason why you're not bedridden, I want you to know, is because God wants you to serve him. He saved you. He delivered you from your addiction. He cleaned you up. 
He refined you. He blessed you so that you may serve him. You have no business serving yourself. You have no business serving your selfish interests. You have no business serving, you know, with a nasty attitude. You have been redeemed. You have been refined. You have been anointed. You have been gifted. You have been talented. You have even been kept alive so that you may serve God. And you must do it with all your heart. Otherwise, you'll be laboring in vain. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were so excited and they began by serving God. But along the way, they started shifting their allegiance to idols. They started serving other things. They started serving idols. They made themselves molten images. That's what they started pledging their allegiance to. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, which is a book of curses and blessings, I read this scripture on Saturday, but I want to read it today again, where we see that God is now telling them, if you don't serve me, this is what is going to happen to you. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 47 to verse 57. The Bible says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart. Somebody say joy. Somebody say gladness. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart. For the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies. Whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. When you look at the next verse, he continues to say, The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand. Next verse. These are the consequences of not serving God with joy and gladness, a nation of fierce continence, which does not respect the elderly, nor show favor to the young. Next verse. And they shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you are destroyed. They shall not leave you grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. This is very sad. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land and they shall besiege you at all your gates, throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. Somebody shout mercy. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. The sensitive and the very refined among you, you will be hostile towards his brother, towards the wife of his bosom. Marriages will not even work and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind. The children will fight each other so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat because he has nothing left in the seed. There will be hunger, there will be famine, there will be lack, there will be poverty. Your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. They will always be fighting. Next verse. The tender and the delicate woman among you who will not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity will refuse to the husband of her bosom, and to her son and her children. Rebellion in the homes. Next verse. Her placenta, which comes out from between her feet and her children, whom she bears, for she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. You can go on and on and see the 
consequences of not serving God with joy and gladness. You labor in vain when you don't serve him with joy and gladness. Have you had Christians say, oh, I've been in this church serving and nothing is happening. There is no breakthrough. Things are tight. I'm becoming poorer and poorer and poorer. Things are not happening. Doors are not opening for me. I have not even been married. I've been serving as a single person for many years and nothing has happened. I need to ask you a question. Have you, have you been serving with joy and gladness? Have you been serving with a pure motive? Have you been serving to be seen by men because you already have your reward? Or have you been serving to be seen by the Lord? Was your heart in what you're doing? Were you genuine? Were your motives, motives pure before God? You know, were you sincere with what you're doing? If you don't serve God with joy and gladness, with sincerity, with all your heart, what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 28 is what will take place in your heart. You'll be serving the Lord. You'll be laboring in vain. I pray that we shall not labor in vain. We shall not serve God while complaining. We shall not serve God while we are murmuring. We shall not serve God while we are grumbling. We shall not serve God with a heavy heart. We shall not feel inconvenienced when we are serving God. But our service to God will be acceptable in His sight. Ladies and gentlemen, these are the three things that I want us to pray about tonight. I want you to get a place of prayer. And we want to begin by praying for the three things that Paul is admonishing us to pray for this afternoon. So the first thing that we're going to pray for is, I want, you, I want you to pray that you're going to be a word addict. You're going to be a good ground. You're going to have this good heart, a heart that will hold fast to the word of life. You'll be a word addict. You'll be a good ground. You'll not be a wayside heart. You'll not be a stony heart. You'll not be a thorny heart. You'll be a good ground so that when the seed of the word of God is sown in your heart, it will germinate and it will bring forth fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Get a place of prayer right now. Wherever you are, in your car, in your, in, your, in your living room, wherever you are, in your office, and begin to pray in the name of Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Yes, Lord. That even as we have prayed that today, that we are going to hold fast to the word of life. Yes, Lord. We are going to be word addicts in the name of Jesus. Yes, As we have prayed, I pray that we shall not run this race of our Christian faith in vain. That we shall have a good heart, a heart that retains your word, and a heart that practices your word. We shall have word-induced life within us. We shall demonstrate this life that is in your word through and through in our lives in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray that we shall not serve with a heavy heart, we shall serve you with joy and gladness in our hearts in the name of Jesus. I pray, O oh God, that there will be no gloom, sadness, or feeling inconvenienced in our hearts even as we serve you. But Lord, we shall serve you with all our hearts, with joy, with excitement, with happiness, deep down our soul in the name of Jesus. I pray that these three things, Lord, that Paul has mentioned will manifest in us positively in the name of Jesus. That as we hold on to the word of life, we shall be full of life. And we shall run, not in vain, we shall run that we may receive reward from you, Jehovah God. And we shall serve with gladness that you may reward us and bless us. Indeed, that the blessings in Deuteronomy chapter 
28 may come upon our lives, that we shall be blessed when we go out and when we come in. A fruit of our womb will be blessed. All the blessings you have declared in the book of Deuteronomy will come upon us because we have served you with joy and gladness. I thank you, Father, and I bless you. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. amen. We shout a big amen. 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 Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can now get in touch with Dr. Dazo Tachero on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.